You coming to bed, hon? Yep, honey, I'll be right there. Just got to turn out the light. Ow! Ow! Some things never change. Like your kids always leaving tiny toys on the floor for you to step on. And Geico saving folks lots of money on their car insurance. Sweetie, I think I left the downstairs light on. Please don't make me go. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Hi, everyone. This is Angelina Asante. Welcome to my brand new podcast. This is the Healthy Hypochondriac. This week's special topic is, am I an alcoholic? Now, if you knew me in my 20s, you probably remember sometimes I don't. I had a lot of fun. I got in a lot of trouble. I know that's surprising, but I like to drink, and I had a little issue with drinking in my 20s. Was I an alcoholic? I think I have two experts here to tell me. (laughs) So first of all, my friend April O'Leary. I've known April for years. I've always known April sober. So April's going to share a little bit about her new project that has just come out, Sober Moms, Happy Moms. We also have one of the contributors to that book, and she's going to be speaking about her story. Welcome, ladies. Thank you. Thank you for having us, I'm, I'm so excited to have you guys because I've been coming to the, the, the launch the last couple of weeks. You've had a speaker series, and it's been actually a lot of fun. I've had a lot of laughter. I mean, it's been very emotional, but it's actually been really funny. You guys are really funny. So tell me, what made you decide to do this book? Well, I just celebrated five years of sobriety. Yay! Um, May, um, no, we're in May, in March. Um, and I thought to myself, you know, there's so many amazing moms that I've met over the past five years who have so much to offer. And a lot of the literature that's out um, to support alcoholics in recovery is about men and stories of men that have recovered. And I thought it would be helpful to moms, especially in the culture that we have today of, you know, wine and drinking and all of these cliches and, you know, laughing about drinking that uh, it's not really so funny when you're in it and you're a mom. And so we thought these stories might help moms kind of come to the realization that maybe their drinking could be a problem. Now, Anonymous Mom, how did you come to be a contributor to this book? Um, April and I know each other. I actually uh, introduced April to a really good friend of mine who is her editor here at uh, O'Leary Publishing. And so we became good friends. And um, April asked me if I wanted to uh, contribute to the book. And it was interesting because um, I did. I started writing the story and then I kind of put it on the shelf for a minute and almost thought about not doing it. Um, My mom was very sick dying and um then april kind of they 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 put a hold on on the publishing of the book itself and it all worked out that um i was ready to go ahead and move forward with it and they were getting ready to move forward with it and it launched on mother's day and um yeah so we're uh, sisters in sobriety and um there's just a lot of great hope in this book for moms and i wanted to be able to uh be able to put something out there to uh, there were so many women that helped me along the way and I want to be able to do that for everyone. And I think this book is not just for moms. It's for anybody. And I think there's a real um, gift in it for children, for teenagers to read this, for adult children who maybe had an alcoholic parent. Um, there's just a lot of hope in it for people. Well, when April and I met years ago, I remember I had said a couple of things to her. One of the books I wrote is about 
recovery. And I went to actually let me in Hazelden and Betty Ford in Naples to do the research there. And I remember telling April about this and she said, are you my sister in sobriety? And I said, I don't know what that means. So I, she, cause I had confided into her that I, I definitely had, like I said, an issue not to put a label on it, but I definitely had a drinking problem in my twenties and April said some interesting, interesting things to me. Now, how would I have known if I had met you ladies in my twenties, how would I have known if I was an alcoholic? And I know you're always an alcoholic, right? That's what I've been told. But how, what are the warning signs that I should have looked for to get help? Hmm. Well, if you were drinking like that in your 20s, and I think we're pretty close in age, we're both were drunk together. So we didn't know either one of us would do it. Right. <laughs> you and I were drunk together and I don't even remember any of it. No. Um, well, actually, you know, the, the real truth about alcoholism for me and for many alcoholics that I know is that no one can tell me I was an alcoholic. I had to come to that truth myself. And I had no idea that my drinking was a problem. And um, I started drinking, you know, at 14. And um, the drinking was always a lot of fun. And I happened to have a boyfriend that moved to Florida when he was 18 and I was 14. And I got to come down here and live in the summer. And um, through the summers, I would uh, be dressed up to look the drinking age, which was 19. So my drinking was very grandiose and very fun and, you know, getting all dressed up like a big girl with a pretty glass in my hand. I remember being um, with a whiskey sour in my hand thinking it was so beautiful. And, um, and it just, the drinking was a lot of fun for me. I was having fun. Um, I didn't think I had a lot of consequences or problems around it. Actually, I never even thought about it if it was a problem for me. But um, as my life went on, I was seeking, I was seeking to deal with my self-esteem problem. I knew I, other people in my family had problems, but it just took me um, until I really hit my bottom to go, oh, I don't control it. It controls me. And that's a long story, but um, you can read it in the book. <laughs> you know, and I think that to your point, with no one being able to tell you whether you are or aren't an alcoholic, they have a saying in the 12-step world that if you think you're not, then go ahead and try some controlled drinking. Mm -hmm. So if you can have, you know, only two drinks a day and you can stop at two a day and you never find that you're going overboard, or you can set it down and it really doesn't matter anymore and you don't have a desire to pick it up, you may not, even though you may have had a period of heavy drinking in your life. But for the alcoholic, you know, the alcoholic will fail that experiment mm -hmm. every time. They'll try controlled drinking for a day or two or a week, or they'll set it aside. They'll say, I'm going to quit drinking for a year. And if I can quit for a year, that means I'm not. And then mm -hmm. they pick it back up and you're right back to where you left off. So because it's a progressive illness, people that have alcoholism, it will progressively get worse. People who heavy drink for a period of time, maybe like yourself in your early 20s, which isn't uncommon in that, in that age range, and then set it down because you get married and you have kids and your life moves on. Mm -hmm those people may not have a problem. I think for me, when I got sober at age 38, I was still doing some of the stuff in my drinking that I was doing when I was 18. And I had three kids and I was married. And then you wake up one day and you say, I am still behaving as though I am in college and I am not, <laughs> and it's getting worse. And the consequences that could be happening are way more severe than I might've suffered at age 18. So for me, that was the conclusion I came to was the same that that mm -hmm. our anonymous mom came to is that when I controlled it, I didn't enjoy it. And when I enjoyed it, I didn't control it. Well, that's interesting. Exactly. And, that, and I do remember, and you were talking about 
being a woman and being older with kids and married and all that, like I remember telling April, oh, I'm driving towards your house, 45 minutes away from where I live. And she said, you're coming down here for what? And I said, book club. And she said, oh, are you going out drinking? And I said, no, I said, no, I'm actually going, I'm, I'm a writer. I'm going <laughs> to talk about the book I read. And she's like, no one's read that book. They're going there to, to drink. And you're right. They were all plastered by the time I left. I'm standing holding the book going, no one wants to talk to me about this. Why has that become, and it is something like, even like you look at sitcoms, it's like a big joke. Book clubs are times to, to, I'm raising my hand. If you could see me on the podcast right now, I'm raising my hand because I was in a book club for 13 years and it was a joke that I only came to drink. I never read the book. I hated that the person who ran the book club would ask every time she would go around and point to each person who read the book this month. Did you read the book? And I'm like, I am really only here to drink. And then when I quit drinking, I went for the next two months and I realized like, I don't want to read these books. I don't even like these people that much. So I quit. (laughs) But why do we do, why do we do that in our society? Because, and you know, what's really funny for me, like when, when I would go anywhere and people would be like, oh, you don't drink. Cause like I got to where, like I was binge drinking and I'd blackout binge drinking blackout. And then like, you know, now obviously I don't drink. I don't, you know, I I don't drink like I used to. I, I, you know, have an occasional beer once in a while. I'm not totally, you know, totally off, but I'll have one beer if I'm watching football or whatever. But um, it's funny in our society that it's more acceptable if you are in recovery than if you're just someone who doesn't drink. And I think it's weird. Like when I go to functions and people say, oh no, I'm going to pass. I'm in recovery. Or, you know, that, that person is looked at differently than the person who just doesn't drink. Have you guys experienced that at all? No, I'm not really. I feel like, um, in the beginning of getting sober, it was like, there was, there's a lot of like worrying about, you know, what am I going to say if somebody asked me, you know, why aren't you drinking or whatever? And like, that was, that really bothered me. And I just find, and then I found that like one person at an event when I wasn't drinking, that was really going like, why aren't you drinking? Why don't you have a drink? It's like later they were like the drunkest person in the room. Like, you know, so that's been my experience with that. Um, I think society just, I think, you know, drinking is legal and people do a lot of it. And I think for me personally, I enjoyed it for a really long time. I drank mm-hmm. the fun out of it. Um, I just really think that, um, you know, we went to this party, we went to that baby shower, we went to this bridal shower. I mean, everybody drank, everybody hung around with drank. It's acceptable. So I don't know that I'm really answering your question, but it's just for me and really and just to refer to the book and the importance of this book, um, I just want to say that there's so many different stories and there's so many different ways people drink. And it really doesn't matter what you drank or how you drank or when you drank, it's how you felt and how it was affecting your life and coming to the truth of that. And um, I think that I went around for a really long time just thinking I was just drinking like everybody else. I mean, there's a million moms out there going, yeah, we go to book club. We were hammered. Like, yeah, you were too. And we used to talk about, oh, I don't remember. And I'm like, yeah, I don't remember either. And that just was normal. And it's like, but that's not normal. And that's what people don't understand. Someone and someone in the meeting tonight read a poem about Mm -hmm. not being there for their children. 
was there a time now I know you you got sober before your child was born and then April you got sober in the last five years but I will say this your social media around this book is affecting your children in a fantastic way can you tell the listeners what's going on with that yeah it's it's really shocking actually because when you know as a publisher you really don't know when you put a book out or any book this book or other books how it's going to be received or what the ripple effects will be or who's going to think it was impactful um, and sometimes the people you think will find it really impactful don't and other people do and in this case um, there's been children teenagers who are the same age as my teenagers who have messaged them who have seen my posts on Instagram and have messaged them saying I hope you know you're so lucky to have a mom who's sober. I wish she was my mom. Mm -hmm. Or I, I bought the book for my mom and I sent it to her and her, the I mom know. lives in another state. And one girl goes, and I'm so, going to pretend your mom's my mom. Yeah. So <laughs> it just is really, it, it touches a nerve to know mm -hmm. that, you know, for them to know that they have the gift of sobriety in the house. You know, we don't drink at home. I'm present for my kids any time of day or night. My youngest daughter just had knee surgery and I was able to be there for her when she was in pain. And it was actually interesting. The day after she had surgery is when Anne, who wrote that poem in the beginning, she sent it to me in the email, in email that day. And Amy was sleeping with her head on my shoulder and her knee propped up. And I was reading this poem and it just struck me that I get to be here for my kid right now. Mm -hmm. I'm not stressed out and drinking because my kid had knee surgery. I'm here to help her deal with her own pain. Mm -hmm. So um, it's been really, um, as our anonymous mom here shared, it's been interesting to see that children of parents who are alcoholics, who are reading the books, um, are, are understanding their parents more, but are also, you know, able to appreciate sobriety mm -hmm. and know that there's help. Well, and you, you said that you and your spouse don't drink at home. I came from parents who didn't drink at all. Do you, do you find that, you know, your own personal background maybe contributes to the way you handle toler, you know, I don't want to say tolerance, but handles your decision-making when it comes to alcohol, like when you're an adult? Cause I know, like you said, I'm, I'm in college and I'm just keeping up with everybody else. Mm -hmm. Right. But at that point, do you, are you thinking about, well, I guess you, neither of you, your parents didn't drink, did they, April? Not much. Okay, and then yeah. anonymous I mom. In, I grew up in a household. My father, my father was an alcoholic. Okay. Yeah. So there was definitely drinking, and my parents were also um, daily pot smokers. So there was all kinds of good, <laughs> good stuff going on <laughs> to um, set me up for you know that this was this was just what you did. And you know, I mean, of course, it was a little secret. You didn't tell anybody about your parents smoking pot, but. It just was, was what, what our culture was in our household. And it's what the culture is in a lot of households. You know, um, we would go as little kids with my parents to somebody else's house. It would be another couple and they'd have a couple of kids and they'd be smoking pot and having drinks and having dinner. And it's the way I grew up. So, and everybody's, you know, I'm sure that everybody's got different ways, but, um, you know, when you grow up in that, then that's okay, you know, but it's, uh, Unfortunately, people think it's a rite of passage, you know, rite of passage to go ahead and, and drink. And I know parents that are letting their teenagers do exactly what my parents did. We had keg parties. We had underage kids drinking in our house. And if we weren't having it at our house, it was at somebody else's house. 
It's interesting know? to that point because I would say that being in recovery now, um, you know, I've talked with my kids a lot about the red flags of alcoholism because it does branch off in both sides of the, the family tree mm-hmm. for them. And, um, you know, for me, I always thought that everyone is blacking out. Like, I don't know why I thought that, but when I was drinking so heavily and blacking out or making myself throw up so I could drink more, you know, doing absurd things like that, I just thought, well, everybody's doing that. So what, you know, Mm -hmm. it's not anything notable, but I also think that when you're a heavy drinker, you attract other heavy drinkers because you want to hang out with people who are like you. So it's funny because in recovery, you know, I have found so many women friends who don't drink that I almost wonder sometimes, do people still drink? (laughs) Are people still out there drinking? Because I don't see it much. And the whole world has opened up because events no longer revolve around who's bringing the booze and is there going to be enough and Mm -hmm. how am I going to drink enough but not appear that I'm taking too much or Am I going to sneak away and down a few while someone's not watching and come back and have one? So they think I just had one, you know, it's like all the crazy thinking that goes on around drinking. Um, you know, my old, my middle daughter's graduating high school and we're having an open house, um, you know, kind of family event for her. Um, and some of my family, of course, still does drink. And I wonder to myself, do I need to serve drinks? Should I not serve drinks? You know, and all of this stuff. But when you see that there are, there is a whole world of people who do have healthy relationships with alcohol, mm-hmm. you know, that if you had a bottle or two of wine, it would be more than enough. And that was the interesting thing. When I first got sober, I was in a business where we had this event. It was on a Friday night at like 5 PM. And my business partner said she would get the wine because she didn't want me to have to get it because I was newly sober. And she only got two bottles of wine for this event for like 30 people. (laughs) Oh my God. I was freaking out. I was like, this is going to be the worst event ever. Like nobody's going to have a good time because there's nothing like that's enough for like me. And at the end of the event, there was like still wine left over. And I was the one that was like pushing it on people. I was walking yeah. around like, do you want a refill? Do you want a refill? Are you okay? And, and, and everyone's like, no, I'm good. And they were hardly drinking it. And so like it was like, too. it like, was like my brain was you want like, more? yeah, yeah. <laughs> my brain was so confused. I had no idea. Yeah, it doesn't compute that people aren't going to be like, you know, just getting hammered. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, everybody, yeah. the thing was, is when you learn to drink when you're 14, right, you're drinking to get drunk. You know, yeah. I mean, and you drank and, and, you know, I really just kind of thought when I was going to get sober, I would go into that meeting and then they would te- teach me how to drink like a lady, you know, <laughs> but, you know, the idea that I would have drink like a normal person, it says in our literature had to be smashed. And, um, you know, it really is. But when it's just, this is what you do. This is the way your life is. This is the way our family is. I know. And, and you know, is what um, I worked in the restaurant business. I, it just, you know, it was just part of my life. It was part of my life. And. I just did not see that it was a problem. And when I, um, but I was like seeking, you know, Mm -hmm. my dad committed suicide. So um, three years before I got sober. So I was seeking, I was seeking God. I was seeking some spirituality. I knew I didn't have any and I was seeking it. And as I was seeking that, um, you know, in that three years I would marry and, you know, have this relationship that I really, really wanted to work. And um, I kept bumping into feeling this not enoughness, this not enoughness with my marriage. And so I went back to a therapist to get some help. And um, this lady suggested that I go to an AA meeting after I told her about what had happened the night before, which was that I 
gone down like to the taste of the town, taste of Collier, and just to have a drink and something, a quick bite to eat and say hi to some people I knew down there because my husband was just coming back from being out of town. And um, that was at 11, right after church. And um, I come rolling out of a bar about 7, 38 o'clock and call my husband. I'm like, I'm on my way home. And guess who I've talked to? Or and my husband's like, I don't know where you are, but just sit down and let me know where you are. I'm going to pick you up. And then I went, oh, great. Now I'm in trouble again. And um, he picked me up and he brought me home. And the next morning was my therapy appointment with the new therapist. And I told her about, you know, I just felt small and, and, you know, humiliated and, you know, like he's the jolly green giant and I'm a little sprout and I'm always feeling less than, and, you know, and then I told her about my sad, sad story about my family and the way I was raised and my dad that killed himself and, you know, all these things and how, you know, my sister had a problem and my brother had a problem and I knew what everybody else's problems were. And I knew that I was codependent and I'd really worked on that and read all those Melanie Beatty books. And so, you know, but I just wanted to work on my self-esteem issue so I could feel better in my marriage. And at the end of this session, she goes, well, I'm going to suggest that you go to um, a meeting, a 12-step meeting. And I was just like, listen, lady, I just told you about my family. Um, they're the ones with the problems. Like, and I was just like, pardon me, but I was like, screw her. You know, I'm like, did she just not hear what I told her? And I was so offended and so upset. And, you know, I ended up going back to work. I had to go back to work and like just raging out to my best friend who I worked with, thank God. And um, just can you believe this lady told me this? And I went home and said the same thing to my husband. Can you believe this therapist told me to go to a meeting? And he's like, honey, I've always been telling you, you really shouldn't have more than two glasses of wine. <laughs> it's like, and it, it just, you know, didn't click. And I'm like, I'm not going to freaking AA. I'm going to Sedona. You know, I'm like, we're going on vacation in like two days. So we went on vacation and I was like, I'll show her. Finding the right person for the job isn't easy. Just ask someone who hired a lounge singer to be their office receptionist. Hello, this is Mickey Marquis, and you've reached the office of Doug and Associates. <laughs> Thank you very much. Catch me Tuesday nights at the Hotel Johnson. Hello? But if you've got an insurance question, you can always count on your local GEICO agent. They can bundle your policies, which could save you hundreds. Doug and Associates, this is Mickey Marquis. Hello? For expert help with all your insurance needs, visit geico.com slash local today. You know, and I, you know, was like being really careful and I was trying to control my drinking and I did really well for about two nights. <laughs> and then I drank myself into a blackout with every intention of not having that happen. And um, mm -hmm. when I woke up the next morning, I was just freaked out. I went, oh my God, I did it again. And I absolutely, I said, okay, I went for a run and just everything flashed back on me. And it was, and I sat down on this big red rock in the middle of Sedona. That's why my story is called Red Rock Bottom. And um, I love that name. Thank you. But I uh, just said, oh my God, you know, God, please help me. Because I was wanting to always keep it all together. And my dad had jumped off a bridge and killed himself, you know, three years prior. And I was like, I'm never going to let my life get out of control. I mean, that's why I was like seeking God and spirituality and trying to figure it out. And, um, and this was what has helped me figure it out was recovery. But um, in that moment, I thought, you know, if I ever had to feel this bad again, I'd rather be dead. And, um, wow. you know, it just has really been such a blessing but what people need to understand is those were the three steps that people go from this denial 
that they have a problem to controlled drinking. And some of it, that can be decades, people in those two stages, and then hit their bottom. And I did that in like four days. Thank you, God. You wow. know, and, um, and it's just, I, I'm really blessed that, and, and then, then, then the journey started and I just ironically had met this woman in a codependence anonymous meeting, like three years prior, that was sober 10 years. And, you know, she was just this really cute girl. We had the same hairdresser and it just worked out really cool that I got to be friends with her and we stayed friends and she shared with me, she was 10 years sober. So when I came back from that trip, I called her and I'm like, can you please take me to a meeting? And she did. And that's when my journey started. And and it's been 22 years. Wow. Like, yeah. And then how did your husband, so you're, you're coming home from Sedona knowing that you're going to go to a meeting as yeah. soon as you get back. Mm-hmm. How did your husband react to that? Was he, he seems like he's been supportive throughout your whole journey. Absolutely. Yeah. He was really, really supportive. And we, we moved away like a hundred days after I got sober, we moved to another state and um, I got real involved with going to meetings, going to meetings because, you know, I'm just, you have to go to meetings and I was going to so many meetings at one point. The only time he said something to me was it's like, you're going to go to another meeting. And it was probably like my third meeting of the day. <laughs> you know, I would like three meetings a day. I didn't have a job at the time. I was just, you know, going to as many meetings and, and you're meeting people and greatest welcome wagon in the world. Let me tell you, I had 12 step meetings. Um, but uh, one time he said to me, oh, you're going to go to another meeting. And then all that codependent went, oh no, he's not happy. Oh, you know. And, and then I talked to my sponsor about it and she was like, you know, if he has a problem with you going to meetings, just tell him those there's meetings for him. And those are Al-Anon meetings. Oh, okay. And those are for meetings, for loved ones who have an alcoholic in their life. And so next time he said something to me about that, I go, well, you know, you could go to an Al-Anon meeting. And I, he's never said anything to me since. And that was 21 <laughs> years ago. And um, I'm grateful that he, you know, he has supported me. And uh, there was a real miracle little story about that is when my husband and I moved, the guy that he got a job with, happened to be a sober guy and he shared with my husband yeah I'm like you know this many years sober and my husband's like oh my wife just joined AA like I just joined the country club or something you know? <laughs> like, and, and he asked him he goes like what should I do and the guy just said you know just support her and whatever she has nice. to do to be sober and that he heard that and he did you know and when he just asked me if I was going to another meeting at that point that way I felt that was how I was feeling about that he wasn't trying to like control me or not want me to go to meetings you know he just asked a question but that's what alcoholics do I take that question you just asked me and I put it in my own mind and I'm like oh you're just trying to get on my crap about going to meetings well he wasn't <laughs> he was like you know what of the day. <laughs> I'm hearing this story and I'm so grateful that that guy that worked with your husband about told it. him and shared that with him yeah. after really a short amount of time working with him mm-hmm. and I think that's a really cool thing because you all have been very honest about your journey. Now, April, I do have two questions for you. 90 meetings in 90 days. What is that? Um, well, that's something, it's sort of a a saying in AA. I personally haven't done it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's when you go to one meeting per day for 90 days. So it's sort of like if you, uh, let's say you were trying to get fit and you hadn't worked out for a long time. And so you wanted to really kind of like kickstart your I'm totally health. identifying the, with yeah, the story. Yeah, your health. So you might go to the gym for 90 days in a row to sort of get back your health to at least a degree to where you could go four or five times a week, you know, take a couple of days off. And so if you think about it this way, when an alcoholic comes into recovery, they're sick. They have established patterns and habits that are not healthy for them. And so 
this is just a way to create accountability, to meet mm-hmm. new people. Because when you come in too, you don't usually have a sober community. You're coming out with, you know, you're coming into a meeting and then you're going back home to your environment where maybe your partner drinks or all of your friends are drinking. And it can feel really lonely in the mm-hmm. beginning of recovery because you have to change a lot of stuff. Um, and you have people that may not be that supportive, you know, yeah. so it's, it's, as it's a way to create as, new habits. It's great. Yeah. It's creating okay. new habits. It's creating new community. It's getting kind of oriented to the program and figuring out, you know, is there someone who I can work with to go through the steps? Um, and I will say, since this is geared towards, you know, how are we, you know, how can someone listening to this podcast understand whether they are or aren't an alcoholic, you know, if you if you think you may be drinking too much and you go to just check out a meeting, just go to an open discussion meeting, you know, raise your hand so you're new, checking it out. You don't have to admit you're an alcoholic or anything. But mm-hmm. if you're in, if you're in and you're listening and you're nodding your head and you're like, ooh, I did that, or I I thought that, or I mm-hmm. I did that. If you're identifying with what they're saying, it's more than likely you're in the right place. If you show up at a meeting and you're like, oh my God, these people are crazy. I never did any of that. Mm. You know, you might not be in the right place, but. but what if, I will say, if to that, let, me yeah. just, let me just chime <laughs> in on this like one. Never happen, but okay, <laughs> we're just no, but when I went um, to meetings, I just, you know, I showed up in my business suit on my way to my office and I was going to meetings in a part of town where a lot of people from the homeless shelter were coming. Right. So here's these guys, they're coming out of the woods. And I mean, I was just like, I could have so compared myself to their stories and been like, I was not like that. I really, you know, I probably really don't belong here. Um, And I remember when a little old lady came up to me after the meeting one time and she said, honey, I just want to say, identify, don't compare. So listen to what you're hearing and try to see if you identify and don't compare your stories because, you know, I've never been homeless. You know, um, there's a lot of things I could heard a lot of different stories from a lot of different people, but what I heard was how the people felt and that's, and I could identify with that. And then I was like, oh crap, you know, now I belong here, you know? So it took me a little while to warm up to this whole idea of being right. in recovery, but you know, the 90 meetings in 90 days, I moved hundred days sober. When I got up to the other state, when I lived in Connecticut, I went to 90 meetings in 90 days again to get connected, to meet people. And plus I was scared half to death because I just got right. sober, you know, and I just got past my 90 days. And, um, and then I moved back to Florida and here I was, and, you know, I'd only been in this recovery community for a hundred days before that. So I did another 90 and 90 and I moved to California and I did it again. I've done a lot of 90 and nineties because it helps me to get into the community, get to know people. And, you know, and it is like the greatest welcome wagon in the world. And it's the greatest place where you're going to meet people that you have um, instantly all actually really know them and they know you um, in a very, very special way. And, you know now that you yeah. say that, I think I, I do, I have done more than 90 and 90 and I'll tell you why. When COVID <laughs> came. Oh, um, heck yeah, we I, all did. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> a lot of the meetings are now on Zoom, so you don't even have to leave your house. So um, I was sort of part of the community here in Naples to help get some of the in-person meetings translated onto Zoom um, because in my business, I've done a lot of Zoom and I have a bit of technology and, uh, you know, skills under my belt. And um, so I was running this meeting like in my own Zoom account because they, mm-hmm. our local club hadn't established theirs yet. And I was hosting, tech hosting the meeting every single day for like four months. 
yeah. at 7 a.m. until yeah, I was, like I am burned out like somebody else has posted. <laughs> I think I chaired a meeting for like a year. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> like every week but I was chairing a meeting. The other one of the yeah. other things I wanted to say, just because um my story is included in the afterword in this book. Um, and and you know, the bottom, you know, when they say, How do you know if you've hit bottom? I think that's a common question that people ask when you're considering if you're drinking too much. And your bottom is your choice, really. It's when you say, I don't want to suffer any more consequences. Um, for me, I was driving drunk with two of my kids in the car. I'm not proud to say that, but it wasn't the first time either. And I had this spiritual awakening that was like, you could kill yourself right now. You could kill your kids. Mm. You could end up in jail. Mm. Um, if you got pulled over wow. for drunk driving, your whole life would be rocked. And yeah. is that a consequence you're willing to suffer? And I got home that night without consequence. I didn't get pulled over. I didn't get a ticket, but it scared me so much that I, I knew that if I continued doing this behavior, the likeliness of that consequence happening was pretty high. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want for that to be my awakening. So if you're listening to this and you're drinking and you're doing things that when you drink, you wouldn't do if you were sober and you're putting yourself in situations that are dangerous that you wouldn't do if you were sober, um, you have to think, think it through and say, am I willing to suffer the possible consequences? Mm -hmm. um, and for me, I wasn't willing to suffer that. I didn't want to wait until that happened because how much different my life could look if I had to spend time in jail. I remember I used to say, well, I didn't have to spend a night in jail. And I remember when my oldest daughter was going through her permit training to get her license and I was helping her and a lot of that materials about drugs and alcohol mm -hmm. and driving and all of this. And one of the questions was, what happens, you know, what's the, the punishment or consequence for a, a person over 21 who's driving drunk with someone under 18 in their car? And it's a minimum nine months in jail. That's the minimum. Yeah. And I thought, oh my God, I always sort of brushed it off as I didn't have to suffer a night in jail. I could have been in jail for nine months minimum. And wow. I have wow. since brought meetings to the jail and I look at the population and I think, oh my God, there's no way I would have survived in here. <laughs> you know, I, um, and brings, just make, reminds me of a, my girlfriend, um, that she never made it, you know, she never got sober. She, she drove drunk with her kids in the car. She had, um, consequence after consequence. She had nine months in jail hmm. and she got out and she drank again and she died mm -hmm. and she left two teenage daughters. And it's funny because in the building we're just sitting in right now, I met her in this parking lot. This used to be a gym. I was a fitness instructor for many, many years. And, um, you know, and I can just remember meeting her the very first time I met her. One of the most beautiful women you ever want to see. Always perfectly put together. And um, she just told herself a lot of lies. And she she rationalized a lot. And I think it's, you know, for people who are, even thinking about this, you know, making excuses and rationalizing the crap that we do is what we are professionals at. We are professional rationalizers in this disease that we have and it centers in our mind. And, um, you know, I, I watched someone lie herself, lie to herself, to her death. And that's the reality of alcoholism. You know, it's a deadly disease. And, um, I have other women in my life, beautiful women that are dear friends that I care about a lot, you know, and I, I watch them get sober. I watch them. Um, I, I have a friend that um, just fought three years in court to get her daughter back. She's got five years clean and sober. 
got her daughter back, you know, some beautiful stories and some beautiful hope in um, the rooms of recovery and being sober. But there's also a lot of tragedy. And I just hope that this book will get in everybody's hands, you know, and for somebody to share it with everybody and anybody. It's really, I keep telling April to get ready because she's going to be on the Today Show. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope so. And I'm already on that. Yeah, exactly. It's all up for me. You know, or even like Drew, you know, Drew Barrymore. Like, you know, Drew Barrymore, she's awesome. I mean, she would love this book. And Glennon Doyle, I would love to have Glennon Doyle get a hold of this well, book. Well, I will say th- one thing about the book, the stories, it's a roller coaster of emotion mm-hmm. for sure. It's a roller coaster of emotion. Now, to close out the show, what would be some advice for you ladies to give on somebody who, say, tried to get sober and it didn't work and they feel like they failed. How do they get back on that horse Mm -hmm. and and keep going until they make it? One thing I can say is I've been in the rooms of recovery consistently for 22 years and I've watched people come in and out and we're always there waiting for you to come back with open arms. They, you know, we're there to love you until you love yourself. It's the ego, it's the pride, it's the humiliation. It's all that BS that you're telling yourself that, you know, no matter how many, I know people that have had an incredible life in the rooms of recovery and so many friends and people that love them, but that, you know, the pain and the shame was keeping them out. Like as if we were going to judge them and everybody knows when they're in a work in their program and they're in a good space, we're here to love you. Do you love yourself? We're here to welcome you back. One of my favorite friends from California, this woman, she'd been in 22 rehabs. I wow. go, you're my favorite person in AA because like, why? Because you kept coming back. Yeah. 22 rehabs. And when I left California, she had like, you know, four or five years sober. Awesome. You know, so just keep, you know, you come back and know that those are the rooms of the people that get you. Not everybody's sitting there, you know, that there's a lot of people in there that relapse and they come back because I'll tell you what, you go back out again, you might not make it back. And if you're still, and if you're still on this side of the dirt, it's a good day and you have a chance. So come back and let us love you till you find that love for yourself again. And, um, you know, cause it's a great life and, um, and it's just, we just have to get out of our own way. It's, it's really difficult. I, I know a lot of women that have been there and I know people that are still stuck there and, um, but I pray for all of them and we pray for all of them every day for the still sick and suffering. I'll call it. Um, my brother is out there and um, homeless and I pray for him every day. And there's hope for him too. So, wow. Oh my gosh. You got me choked up. I'm trying not to look at you right now. (laughs) April, do you have any final words you want to give to help people who think that they've, you know, have failed and they're scared to try again? Well, I would say it's, it's not unlike, you know, trying a diet and, you know, sticking with it for a while and then falling off and getting the weight back. You know, it's like, if you know that the healthy life is available for you and that you have to do what it takes, you know, just do what it takes. It's, there's a saying in AA that says, if you want what we have, you'll do what we do. And there is no easy way to get sober. You know, it is difficult. It does require commitment. It does require accountability. You know, when they say, get a sponsor to work with, you know, look for someone who you admire what they have. You look at their life and you think, wow, this person's got it together. Like they seem happy. They seem like they're enjoying their life and ask them for help. You know, don't go into the rooms and expect that people are going to ask you. They want you to ask them and say, Mm -hmm. I need help. Would you help me? So um, 
you know, be willing to ask for help. Yeah. It's, and the thing is, is, you know, we always say it's not for people who need it. Lots of people need it. It's for people who want it and you have to want it. You have to come to that. You have to concede to your innermost self that you are alcoholic. And, um, you know, I didn't concede to my innermost self for a few weeks coming to meetings, you know, I was still, you know, kind of find, trying to find my way out. And, um, but then I did, you know, I, I showed up, I listened and, um, I heard all of these people talking about me and I was like, how the hell do they know about this, about me? Who told them about me before I got here? Crap. Like, wow, it blew, blew my mind. It actually blew my mind the very first meeting. But, um, you know, it's such a loving place. You'll never find such a wonderful group of people, you know, to love, like I keep saying, love you till you love yourself. And, and, um, I always said, like, they just kept looking at me going, keep coming back, honey. And I'm just like, oh, they like me. They really like me. Thank God. You know? So I you, everybody to so like me. That's interesting. So, because yeah. you've bounced from state to state to state mm-hmm. and everyone is the same. Yeah, they're loving and they're not yeah. judgmental yeah. and it's they're the accepting. the judgmental place I've ever been. Yeah. You know, I, I can say early on in my recovery, I would hear there was one older lady who had many, many decades of sobriety. And she would say, it's a fatal illness. And I used to be like, ugh, fatal illness. Yeah. Okay. Drama queen. Yeah. yeah. Drama. Let's not be so dramatic <laughs> about it. And it. Yeah. And it took, it, it wasn't very long before a few of the people from the meeting stopped showing up. And then you get a notice mm-hmm. you wow. know, that so-and-so died. So-and-so wrecked his car or so-and-so comes back and their front teeth is missing because they got in a fight while they were drunk, Mm -hmm. but you're so happy to see them. You're like, oh my God, I missed you. You know, are you okay? You know, you give them a hug. It's not like, like you know, days. where's your teeth and you're so dumb, you know? <laughs> it's Florida. We don't it's ask like, that anyway. Yeah, yeah, no, but it's just like, I can't, my heart was like, I can remember this one specific mm. guy that just my heart went out to him because he had a really rough, you know, path and he was in and out and in and out and, you know, and it's like, they have a saying that no one comes back and says it's better out there. Right. Like, I'm fine. Guess what? It was great. Like, mm. I know for me that, if I have one, I want two. If I have two, I want four. If I have four, I want eight. You know, it's like, there is no off switch Mm -hmm. for me. Once I start, I'm, I can't stop it. And so um, maybe that's you listening right now that if you have one, it's, it triggers that compulsion and you, you don't get to choose when you stop. I didn't mean to drink that much. Right. Oh my gosh. Or, or, or how many times did you wake up and go, yeah, I'm never drinking again. Oh, I'm never never (laughs) drinking like that again. Yeah. I see that a lot. Yeah. Well, I thank you guys. This is a great time. You guys are lovely ladies. And April, how can we get this book? Well, I would say if you are an Amazon Prime member, go to Amazon and search Sober Moms, Happy Moms, and you'll get the book um, to you in a day with Amazon mm-hmm. Prime. Or you can go to O'LearyPublishing.com forward slash Sober Moms. You can buy it direct from us. We have some limited edition copies. Um, and we have a free playlist, a collaborative music playlist that goes along with this book that you can Mm -hmm. opt in for free. You can add in songs that you like, and um, it's a really positive, fun experience to incorporate music with your sobriety. So yeah, it's great. A lot of the moms pick songs that they like that um, was like, this is my song and from my sobriety. And yeah, I love it. Mine's Allison Porter, which is um, down that road. She won on The Voice. And oh, she okay. was in recovery and oh, she was cool. sober and she performed and she won. 
and um, yeah, so she did a song called Down That Road. Wow. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that, yeah. So get the playlist. Oh yeah, yeah. that's pretty cool. Yep. Well, thank you for get having the book. us. This yeah. was good. This Thanks was fun. Yes. Thank you for sharing your stories. And I really feel like you guys are going to help a lot of listeners out there. So thank you guys. Thank you. Thank you. This is Angelina signing, signing off.